Hello and welcome to this week's Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, albeit uh, a version of himself which is very much struggling to get through the day today. Uh, Ian, how are you doing? Been better. <laughs> Got in at quarter to two last night, didn't I? Um, That's what you get for going out on a school night. Out on a school night. Been a struggle today. Um, best bit of my day this usually, looking forward to it, but... Um, <laughs> Might be a short if we, one. If we were shorter than usual, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But um, say, I feel like it's a good thing that I tend to take lead of the episodes these days because uh, I reckon we'd be having an issue otherwise. I apologise now for any mispronunciations, mumbling, yawning into the The word mic. pronunciation then was pronounced wrong. I just want to say that's, that's the absolute gold standard of this podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, following from this week's double tap, we'll get straight into it just because I think the quicker we can get this finished for you, the better. Um, there's only one place to start in there, and that would be with uh, Connor Ben and Chris Eubank Jr. officially being called off. Bit of a disappointment in some ways when it all broke on Wednesday when we did the first double tap. There was a lot of different uh, outcomes that we talked about and eventualities that could have um, could have happened, and we were almost quite excited. Was it, was it on? Was it off? Was it on? Was it off? And I'd said to you, I think you felt maybe away we go I think more you hoped away it would go ahead for you for your weekend definitely a hope I'd said to you I, if he had popped for that I couldn't see any way despite all the bullshit and the bluster it could go ahead and I think correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline because say last 12 hours I haven't been paying much attention as I normally would with these but uh, yesterday it was called off and that was it it's done correct it's off postponed uh, yeah. indefinitely yeah um, no date for when it's been postponed too but it's um completely off as it stands at the moment there isn't anything that's going to change this weekend now it's far too close and both fighters have been told that it's off could be a super long wait for it to ever happen if um ben gets a, a two-year suspension which is usually minimal for something like this type of positive test he so. won't get suspended that this is my um pragmatic approach about it i suppose but boxing is, as we described on this week's double tap, completely bent. If someone wants to get out of this, a bit like Canelo, a bit like Fury, there are always ways around it. Um, obviously, in this instance, I think it's more of a, a face-saving exercise for all the parties involved, and that's why it's not gone ahead. Because obviously, with the, I think because it's a catchweight, I think if it had been both fighters at the same weight and there wasn't this hydration uh, issue or rehydration issue for... Um, Eubank Jr. I think this would have gone ahead regardless and they'd have, they'd have got someone else involved whether it had been the Luxembourg Boxing Federation etc but I think because of all the, the different variables everyone involved so um, obviously big Eddie Hearn and uh, I always forget is it Calais uh, for Wasserman um, yeah they, both of them have basically turned around and said you know what we'll just postpone it we'll bring it back at a later date Um the issue for me with these, I mean, I always feel sorry for myself because it's ruined my weekend, but you've got to feel sorry for the undercard more than I what I think here. Has it ruined your weekend? I mean, you haven't mentioned oh, yeah, it well. like, fucking 20,000 times uh, in the last uh, couple of episodes. But um, Make your jokes while you sit there crying into the mic. I um, Slightly moving off topic, but related, I, I'll be honest, I think right back to the, the, the point about boxing being corrupt. Um, I think they could learn a lot from the very no-nonsense way that the UFC have instituted USADA and the the testing. Um, They are brute to a point that's brutal that there have been plenty of UFC fighters recently that have tested positive for tainted supplements. So they are are taking something they think has been certified by an independent body to be clear of, you know, literally like vitamins or protein shake or something like that, uh, that, again purely from my weird steroid podcast that we talked about and the, the detail that I'd gone into with it and my, my knowledge, what can often happen is places that manufacture, and I understand that this happens particularly maybe out in China, is, is a hotspot for it, things like protein shakes, they are often manufactured in the same facilities as somewhere that can manufacture steroids. So what would happen is they make a batch of steroids, they don't really clean or wash out the equipment or the, the filtration process, they make some, some protein shake or some creatine or something like that, which is a completely legitimate substance, and it has traces then when it's taken. Uh, and you, you, there's been plenty of UFC fighters that have had six-month or a year ban for taking something that was a tainted supplement they had no idea about. You've then got the higher end where people have had two-year suspensions for uh, deliberate uh, steroid abuse and I think boxing should take a far tougher line like that I agree with you it's this kind of oh he's posted positive 
there's no real repercussions from it, apart from the fight being off, which we're all disappointed about. What's the fucking point? I agree, and I think learning from the UFC is is quite a, a good point to make there. And you look at the example of UFC 279. There was an issue with the main fight, so obviously um, Kimaev weighed significantly higher than was necessary and obviously couldn't go forward with that fight. You look at how quickly they scramble together a brand new card and then compare it to this. So one issue with one fight, it's completely off. I, I see the analogy, but just to be clear, that wasn't due to a test, positive test, was it? That was missed weight. Yeah, I see, but I see in point, the same the sense that one issue with one fight well, hasn't we, caused the end of the entire the card. We jokingly said, well, one, that's because that was a far bigger card. And there was, again, there are far more stacked cards, UFC. There's far more people that are still interested. As we said, who could even, you, you, your whole weekend was going to be built around this. Could you name me one fight on the undercard? No, I tell you now, you couldn't. You're really um, looking forward to it all. You couldn't name a single fight on the undercard. A different you? fighter. Um... It's because no one gives a fuck. <laughs> and, and, and let's be fair, most boxing cards, even the really big heavyweight title fights, they might have one fight under that that us as boxing fans would know. The casual fans, it's one fight per card, pretty much. The UFC, when they do these stacked cards like that, they've got the ability to interchange and swap out. Um I think we jokingly said about it, didn't uh, Eubank offer our favourite topic, or my favourite topic on this, fucking Jake Paul. Oh, Jake, fly over on a day's notice and you, I'll, I'll chuck you a load of money. Which would never going to happen. He's got yeah. a bit quiet, hasn't he? And yeah. as he responded? A shock, an actual boxer um, challenging Jake Paul results in this, but no, I don't think he has responded. Um, I think the, the First mo- time ever? Yeah, he's not responded? Say, or it, I'm sure he'll, he'll wait a few days and then Sunday, respond. And yeah, then exactly. give, give it the big oh. talk. Oh, I didn't see it. I'm too busy to read my Twitter account. That's fucking convenient, um, isn't it? But yeah, just to, to clarify, so the, the Matchroom Boxing and, and Wasserman Boxing joint statement um, read that after discussions with various parties, we've taken the decision to formally postpone the bout between Eubank Jr. and Conor Ben. We've taken the decision. We've taken, it's taken yeah. out of your hands. Uh, it's undeniable that the British Boxing Board of Control's decision to withdraw their sanctioning was procedurally flawed and without due process. That remains a legal issue between the promoters and the board which we intend to pursue however whilst there are legal routes to facilitate the fight taking place as planned we do not believe it is in the fighter's interest for those to be pursued at such a late stage or in the wider interest of the sport as promoters we take our Reading obligations between the lines, we won't win yeah we take our obligations and duties very seriously and a full investigation will now take place the best bet we will be making no further comment at this time and news for ticket holder refunds will follow. <laughs> Motherfuckers. They haven't even had the, 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 the ability to say we will provide a full refund. Which should be the, the usual. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's... look at, again, the poor um, people that have prepaid for the, 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 the pay-per-view. Are they, have they been refunded yet? You I know? mean, I would expect so, just because of the fact that DAZN, as we were discussing um isn't just a subscription service anymore, which was the whole point of design in the first place, but it's the, the PPVs there. And obviously with it a full cancellation rather than a rejigging of the card, they've not got what they've paid for. So I, I don't think there'll be any major issues with that. But it's not taking into account things like uh, people who've booked hotels to go down because obviously it's in London, train tickets, uh, everything like that. It, it's just gone now. And I, so... I'll take it a stage further than people who have booked train tickets from that. It could have been worse. You could have had a Nigel Ben Tattoo, couldn't you, eh? Uh, did, I, I think we were quickly saw this before we came on, so someone had had a Nigel Ben Tattoo. Showing your age there, because I think you might be talking about his son. Fuck, Connor Ben, yeah, all right. Um, a, a Connor Ben Still Tattoo. Still pissed, sir. And said, oh, what am I going to do? I can't afford laser treatment now. I've got a fucking cheetah tattooed on my arm. And fair play to you, Bank. It, as if he hasn't got anything better to do than wade through random people's fucking Twitters. He's come out and said... He'd pay for the laser treatment. Because I mean, this has worked out really well for Eubank Jr. So he went into this as the sideshow villain, so to speak. And then since all this has happened, everyone... Comes out as the hero. Yeah, exactly. Everyone thinks that he's fantastic. Everybody wanted, if he would, if a fight were going ahead, him to knock out Ben. And obviously when it comes back around again, eventually, because there's too much money for it not to be, um, he will be not only the overwhelming favourite in the eyes of the bookies, but also the overwhelming favourite in the eyes of the majority of the crowd. So he, he's come out smelling roses here. So he's basically going on a PR exercise at the moment, going through all these different individuals, these tweets. The, the thing with the, the tattoo, that's going to cost him absolutely nothing in, um, in comparison to what he, his actual wealth is. 
and yet everyone's like, oh, what, what a fantastic man, what a brilliant bloke. No, is he? Let's be honest. He's a box care less. I, I always think, though, is that even, you know, what happens there? The guy goes and gets laser treatment, he puts it on his credit card or something, and what, <laughs> then sends a bill. What does he do? Fuck you. Again, how do you even know? Saying something that, yeah. on Twitter isn't doing it, is it? So if he then writes him a cheque, gets his bank details, and, oh, but how, give me a quote for the laser treatment, I'll transfer it. Fair play. But saying some bullshit on Twitter is not actually doing it. So uh, you're totally right what it would cost him. In, I mean, I don't know if he's got paid. It's not his fault the fight's off. Whether, again, we no, don't know what, no. the contract. He, 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 no. again, if there would have been some clause in there that they get some minimum. Totally not his fault. So there might have been some something in the contract about that. And that might also be why there's a delay in refunding the ticket fees because... You know, Matchroom and that need to hash all of that out. They but... won't get anything. I, I'd be absolutely shocked, especially when it comes to Matchroom. Um, obviously, Wasserman and production are involved with it as well, but I'd be shocked if any of the fighters get anything out of this. It will be, um, you'll get your payday on the next card. The biggest issue that you've got is this undercard is, as you've already said, it's not full of big names. Um, I think, what is it, Shannon Courtney is probably the biggest name, or whatever her name is. He's one of the biggest fighters on the undercard. Again, I, I'm not Never professing to know the majority of them. But, um, yeah, they're not exactly going to be waiting for this next event. They're probably going to have different fights scheduled on different undercards. And they might not even be on the Conor Ben uh, Eubank Jr. event when it comes back round. So they, they lose significantly. And, again, they're the biggest losers out of all of this. For, for sure. And again, for, for maybe more casual fans that don't have, again, don't profess to have super knowledge of, of these type of things. But not only have they not got paid, it's cost them. Training camps cost money for fighters. They have to pay sparring partners. Yeah, but, but people don't rock up to get punched in the head for free. They fly fighters over from you know different countries. They they want to try and match the style of their opponent. They might have to fly someone from America. They'll pay their ticket. They'll stick them up in a hotel. So my heart goes out to to the the undercard. They 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 they're not not got paid. It's cost them money. This yeah. And even you know, ben, and ben, put into it as well to yeah, get yeah. into this position and eight week training camp minimum yeah. something just like that, six weeks just complete waste of time. And again, with no a bit like we talked about with the the female uh, fight that was postponed for about a month or so, which was what uh, Clarissa this Shields. Month? Yes, it's two so weeks they at least they had an end date in sight that they could put that in mind. Right, we can just carry on going. There's there's, there's no end date for this. There's no, no revised, revised date. Like so. you said, this is completely dependent on what happens with the the drugs finding. So. And I'll tell you now, even if the major fight, the, you know, uh, Eubank Jr., uh, Ben happens again, they won't just replicate that undercard. Those Which fighters will said. now yeah. go they'll, off and, they'll and have fight, to do, try and they get their managers involved. To, as you say, yeah. they'll, they'll, they might have to take a, now, a short notice fight in a couple of weeks, end up losing, doing all that, to make some money to, to, to provide for their families. 100%. So it's, 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 it's brutal for those undercard fighters. But... Yeah, I mean, no more boxing news because that's depressed my weekend and obviously ruined it. So a little bit better. Uh, I've got quite a lot on football this week. I know you don't have as much because I've got nothing. You, you... <laughs> I've got nothing in the, in the tank. I've got nothing in my notes. Got so nothing I'm, I'm, left. I feel I feel woefully. This is the most underprepared <laughs> I've been for one. The, le- the least mood I've been in. But we're, we're going on. You're taking the lead on this Persevering. one. Persevering. Um, we'll find so I, I have. Don't worry. I have quite a lot here. Um, Picking up the slack. I'm going to say so. Start with Haaland just because obviously we're on the back of uh, the last weekend's results. The, the two derbies. Um, two more fucking goals. Yeah. Manchester derby went exactly as expected. He is an absolute freak of nature. So, obviously, got a hat-trick at the weekend, got another two goals in the Champions League. Um, we were talking about him on double tap in that... I mean, we had quite a, a lengthy discussion about him. It's not and, like we haven't discussed him before, yeah. is it? <laughs> um, and every single episode, but we had quite a lengthy discussion about what he'd do next and whether he'd stay at City or, or what his long-term uh, aspirations were. Two things came out this week. One, his wage... <laughs> Which... Say came out this week. W- would it be if someone that sent you that at about half past one on the taxi home, uh, having a look, uh, it's got you yeah, that thing through? So that would be bad, wouldn't it, on a school night? Um, and just confirm for the listeners that we saw that how much he, he's apart. I think we talked before that we thought, and I, I think I even implied on on, on on double tap, double tap, that he might be in the region of four hundred k a week. BBC Sport today said he was on. It's just shy of nine hundred thousand a week. Ouch! When yeah. we were talking about back to the, the double tap and, and potentially the, the cost of renegotiating and giving him a longer deal, 
Bam, there goes a million pound a week. But again, this goes back to the argument, and if you haven't listened to, to this week's uh, Double Tap, definitely give it a, a listen. But this goes back to the argument I made. No one is paying that. He isn't going elsewhere. He's going to be at City for the majority of his career, if not all of his career. I can't see it. <sighs> to give to play devil's advocate to that, does it not also make, though, that in my eyes, that makes it maybe more likely to go somewhere else? Because whilst we say people do their jobs for money if you're making that much money you could then say do you know what i've got enough money in the bank i want to try something else so to me that that actually that he's on that crazy amount at 22 already maybe increases the chances in my eyes that in two or three years he fancies something different and he doesn't care about the money because he's already a fucking hundred million pound no chance that literally near me one modern footballer who has acted like that yeah okay um, <laughs> it just I don't, don't have any evidence. No one plays I, for the love of football, unfortunately, anymore. You don't have your your loyalties, your, your Stevie G. Well, he wanted to go to Chelsea at one point, but let's not talk about Stevie G then. So your Gary Kelly's Leeds United played it in the entire career. Never really interesting going elsewhere. Obviously playing Devils Advocate on that one wasn't really wanted elsewhere, but still he, uh, he he never really considered any sort of move, even if it would have been put on the table. You don't get that these days, and uh, I, I think. City will keep him because they'll pay him more than anyone else. The only club that would rival those finances... PSG. PSG. And he, would you want to go to PSG? When Mbappe's probably going to be there for a significant period of time. Oh, I, I see. I, just, I think in, he signed that crazy new contract. And it was only, was it two, maybe three years? He'll end up... I'm Madrid. telling you, he's, he's going to Real in two or three years. And I can see... I, I can see Haaland maybe the longer end of the deal I I genuinely think he ends up at Real and that's got to be their end game is to pair them two together and fuck me if you we, we've talked about it again on previous episodes they are the heirs to Messi and Ronaldo as the best players in the world if you could get both of them in the same team you could play me and you at centre back and fucking win every day against in the Champions League with them two up front I mean I refute that I feel like I'm a, an absolutely world class right back for one but uh, no but it's a very good segue is that because the other thing that came out this week was uh, an apparent release special release clause I think it's called for him to join Real Madrid in 2024 uh, these are reports that came out in Spain as they always seem to be it's coincidentally just, <laughs> um, Pep Guardiola has addressed these uh, after um, the, the Copenhagen game where he scored another two goals uh, Guardiola came out and said that it was just completely and utterly false. Uh, he said it's not true. He's but not got again, a release clause for Real Madrid. In the same way that the Spanish press are bound to say that, he's not going to come out and be like, oh yeah, we've got this release clause that if when someone chucks us so much money, they can have him, are they? But... Agreed, but I feel as though this is one of those things that because that would be the biggest news in world football, someone like you, Fabrizio had come out and say, yeah, that's that's absolutely spot on. Our athletic could pick up on it. Someone would know. Because he's so in the know, Fabrizio. <laughs> Mr. Fucking Twitter has 8 million followers, but just says the shit that you read in the papers. But, Hint um, of jealousy there. Um, just can't stand him. I, I, again, don't hate the player, hate the game. Done very well. Every time I see him in a paper or mentioned or happen to have a look at him on Twitter, I'm like, I could have fucking told you that. That's not insightful. Oh, I... What's it? What's he tweeted today? Harlan's on eight, just short of nine hundred grand a week. I fucking read that on the BBC in a taxi on the way home and sent it Weirdly, to you. He's uh, tweeting about F one today, so I don't know if he's venturing into different areas or what. But because he knows no shit and as he hasn't got any inside information, <laughs> I'd hazard a guess. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so I mean, that's obviously the biggest news that have come out with regards to a player. We've got Southampton potentially set to make a change. I tell you what. Um, before the, the the two seconds research that I have done, uh, because I feel woefully underprepared, was to look at the, the game weeks. Uh, I had read that, uh, obviously, Hassan Hattel was under pressure. Uh, where are they? Away to City this week. That is <laughs> two weeks to save, uh, two games to save his job. Sorry, so, uh, what, so one game. City away. <laughs> get, he could have which... got easily a 9-0 hiding again to equal the record. Do you know where they play afterwards? No. West Ham at home. So it's not as though they're going into another easy game because West Ham seems to be picking up form. Um, definitely European and yeah I, I think if he's I'm gone. a manager and you offer me West Ham at home to save my job I take that every day than away to City would you Southampton we're not talking a, a big team here we're not talking a, a good team in the league West Ham you're right they're picking up they over in my opinion last season uh, my dad and uh, a couple of my mates are West Ham fans um, so you know, I've been to Upton Park a fair few times um, 
I'd take that all day if I was a manager and I'm I'm trying to be Premier League quality. I think you've got to back yourself in certain occasions. I'd take that one all day. You've been to their recent stadium, that curiosity. I have not been um the, Park, the most soulless stadium in the UK. I've heard um mates have been there. Uh, I hear it's very pitches far away from the pitch. It's yeah. very um used to be at Olympic Stadium, didn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, um soulless you're right you know atmosphere's a bit dead fans are quite long away I think it's got a running track in it around it um, well, I think they've covered the running track in like a green covering basically but it, yeah, it's just that would be my nightmare not one of those stadiums that was on my list to go to um, just I mean random little say wait I've been to Spurs uh, stadium that's a fucking lovely stadium I've got uh, mates yeah there's a lot of money being put into that. that is a lovely ground as With new stadium NFL Games being played at there, aren't they? And they've yeah, got like that a deal is a, with that. a really but... nice, decent stuff. Again, fucking begrudges me really that the Spurs have it. But um, mate got me to mate uh, as a season ticket holder and just got me his mate's tickets. So I didn't have to pay, so I don't, don't know how much it <laughs> was enough. to be fair. Um, yeah, got away with that one. But um, yeah, nice stadium. Yeah, um, just back to Southampton. So the rumours. Have you seen who they're going after? Um, There's two main individuals. Rafa. Nope. Only because he seems to be linked he with every, every other the, club. The, the saviour and up there with Sean Dyche in terms of fantastic football to play. Um, so no, Rafa's not on the list. Steve Cooper at Forest. As in, if he gets sacked from Forest or that they would poach him from Forest? That they would go after him. And he's not going to get sacked from Forest because it was announced about, I think, three hours ago. He's just signed a contract extension with Forrest until 2025 which is completely out of blue which obviously we've been under pressure and rumours of him being replaced it's a bit of a weird timing what if he loses 7, 8, 10 games in a row with that uh, again Bigger I'm not payout. going to try and pronounce I don't even know his name but the, the he's fairly trigger happy isn't he the, the Greek owner um, that just seems crazy in terms of at this point when he's, bo- they've gone bottom of the table I mean that's one of the few things I thought we should talk about was um, Leicester Forest mm. as, as a game we review something I, I, I watched that Leicester looked good considering how garbage they look against Tottenham <laughs> I, I, again I think there's a, there's an element of they were quite good and Forest, Forest were woeful, woeful, woeful really really poor but um, I mean worst comes worst they could always loan uh, Cooper to Olympiacos couldn't they and he could just spend a few seasons there instead um, the the Champions man- League, but, do you know what I mean? As, you know, for a manager to go from bottom of the Premier League to managing the Champions League, it's not the worst move in the world. If I tell you that the other manager that Southampton are after is in the Premier League, would you be able to guess who it might be? Jesse Marsh. It's Jesse Marsh. Really? It genuinely no. is, honestly. So Steve Cooper and Jesse Marsh are uh, the two top candidates that they want. Now, Jesse Marsh isn't going to go. Steve Cooper's not going to go there now that he's signed a contract extension. Jesse Marsh isn't going to leave having just brought in the players that he's really familiar with to go to a club that, if anything, at the very maximum, you're taking a sideways step. More likely than not, you're it's taking a backward step. Steps, yeah. for me, Southampton. Um, the way they play, the players they've got. It's not got. a step but up, there's a point. Particularly yeah. when he's had the summer to build the team in his image by some of the signings that he wants, and he'd have to, yeah. Definitely can't weird that. I wouldn't be worried yeah, if I'm not, I was a leader. Oh yeah, I'm not, not worried in the slightest, but just a weird, weird short, short list to pick from. Um, Strange that, again, I saw Rafa was being linked, was he, again, this was before Monday's game when I watched it, the, the Leicester Forest one, that he was linked potentially with both those jobs. Yeah. Uh, if they were to... And weirdly, one job move. seems to be safe and then the other job seems to be far more secure now because they've won. Rogers definitely bought himself time, I think. I could have definitely seen Roger sacked if they'd lost that at home. I, I think that could have easily gone that wrong way. Maybe he's brought himself, you know, um, uh, a little bit week by week. They are away to Bournemouth this week. So, yeah. again, a chance to build on that and, and maybe move out of the bottom three. I'm not sure. I haven't got the league in front of me. But if they've gone jump from four points, whether they got to seven, they might that might move them out of the bottom uh, three. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Rafa and Dyche loom large over any of those teams that sack their manager and are looking for a saviour in inverted commas. Daesh is a weird one because is he a saviour realistically? He, he's Not for football. I would say, okay. <laughs> he's, Maybe. He's, he's worked wonders aren't he, at Burnley up until a certain a point but you, you're talking a complete and utter revolution so to speak at your team if you get him in, in charge. I mean, Again, he's done it in one place. You know, as much as we've talked about Dyche in the same league as Allardyce, as the 
masters of absolutely dog shit punt long football. Um, to be fair, Allardyce, I think it was only West Brom that he ever went down. He did have that record yeah. as being the man that saved him. Dyche has only done it one place. So I don't, for me, he's not quite um, earned that kind of saviour badge that um, or moniker that he seems to sometimes be in, in the media link with. Whereas Allardyce, as much as it killed me to say it, always used to be, if you put him in charge, he would keep you up. You know, until he went, you know, met his match with West Brom, uh, and you take enough shit jobs, you're going to uh, end up getting relegated. I still think it's far too early in the season to be finding a firefighter. I think someone like uh, an Allardyce again. I don't think anyone's going for Allardyce, and I can't imagine him getting another job in Premier League. But um, he would be the type of person that you'd go for with ten games left. You look like you're probably in the marsh a little bit. There's not really much you can do other than get someone like that in. At this stage, you've still got, what is it, three three quarters of the season left, roughly? Agree with you, uh, but the the trajectory that Leicester were on in terms of, I think that before we talked about that, it was one get one win out of 21. Uh, now, Forrest rooted to the bottom of only one point, you know, before you know it, you know, we are only eight games in, let's not get carried away, but that's 15 games and you're like two, three points, you're getting cut adrift. It's too late for someone like Allardyce to come in and save you. Allardyce was that man that if you were in the mire, but it was a relatively congested league, so two or three wins would put you out, he was that man. If you cut adrift in this day's Premier League, I think it's done. How many points is being cut adrift out of curiosity? Well, they always go back to, it used to be, didn't it? And it, it's dropped, was the 40-point mark was safety. Now there seems to be on, you know, uh, previous leagues, that could be early 30s. I mean, if you... So, how, so what's the, the biggest gap between, let's say, your route at bottom of table and the team in uh, 17 is on X amount of points? What's the biggest gap before you start saying, yeah, we're, we're in trouble here? 12, 13, 14 points for me. That's like four wins when you are a struggling team. That's hard if you look at how teams form and let's say there's half a season to go. Four wins out of 18, get 19 games is, is difficult. So... Um, I don't know if there's any official mathematics on that and what that would be, but once you get 10, as you say, 10 and above points, I think you're getting cut adrift. What about 11? Yeah, I got 11. So, so I sound say, like in the mood let, for this let, bullshit today. Let's say that you're in ninth place and you're 11 points off the top of the table. Would you say that you've got absolutely no chance? Uh I, I don't... I, I get what you're trying to say to me about Liverpool being so far <laughs> off, but I'd, uh, I don't... Fuck you. I'm not in the mood for this shit today. <laughs> And your little setups of Kevin Holland and that shit. I'm not. I'm not. Right. It's getting I'm not, easier. I'll be honest. It's, I'm not taking it's not the bait. To, I'm, to too easy, I'm too close to the edge today to take the bait. But um, yeah, I, I think so. Twelve points for me would be like four wins. Four wins, I think, in relegation form is difficult to manufacture out of a limited amount of games. Agreed. Um, well, it's a good segue anyway in terms of talking about a team that's eleven points above you because we were going to talk about the North London derby. Thoughts on it? Obviously, Arsenal. Watch the first half, didn't I? Watch the first half, didn't watch the second half. Um, Arsenal were pretty good, I thought. Really, Spurs not so great. Um, looked like the confidence was a bit knocked after the first goal. Um, the talking point here is the red card that I've yeah, shown yeah. you. Um, shocker! Absolutely, never. I'm old school. I like it was obviously a yellow card. I can't say it wasn't, but it was just a yellow card. Never ever a red card ever in a million years for me by the same ref don't want to go over old ground here that gave didn't give Virgil a red mm. Virgil's tackle was arguably worse than that and wasn't a red that's never ever a red one of the softest reds I've seen in years that one for me for Emerson Royal we don't want to and change the game yeah it definitely did um, and I thought again this isn't a prime example Arsenal fans getting carried away here just because of the fact that they think that they are going to run away with this and I'm just looking here um, obviously they, they lost against Manchester United didn't they they've got um, upcoming now let's have a quick gander so they've got Half you on Sunday yeah, they're getting they've brought got back you, to the real world and then Leeds and then Southampton there you go two losses in a row for them so. two fantastic teams they've got to play they're in real but trouble I just I don't see them as a team that are going to stay in that. I know we went into quite a bit of detail about this in, in double tap but I don't see them as a, a team that are going to stay in that top four let's be very hopeful here. Let's say they do lose the next two games to Liverpool and Leeds. 
that suddenly dramatically changes that. City are going to win against Southampton, no doubt. Not sure who City's next game is of that. All of a sudden, this, oh, we're top, we're leading City. They're maybe, what, them four points behind? A um, couple of losses on. Do they then take that confidence hit? City will definitely win the next two games in the Premier League. So I'm guessing they've got Liverpool next. And they do indeed. So they've got Southampton. They definitely uh, oh. will win the next two games. And then they've got you away, um, which is, I mean, that's it would have if, been a big game. If, if I'm, I'm going to be overly optimistic here, we can take a result against Arsenal, which if we can isolate and keep the ball away from Jesus, I think we've got a chance. I, d- I don't think Arsenal were that magical going forward as people met against the fans are maybe saying. And we... Tough ask at the moment, Liverpool to put on a defensive show given the shambles we look at the backer. But if we could do that and we've then got Rangers away in the Champions League midweek and we, we, we do them again, suddenly there's a bit more confidence back. It may be a bit hopeful, but I'd take a draw. I'd take a snap your hand off for a point now against City. I mean, same. I think any team would at the moment, the, the form that they're in and the, the frightening form that Haaland's in. Um, yeah, I just I think Arsenal start to fall off shortly. It's becoming weirdly more of a hope at the moment because I'm getting a lot of shit off my uh, Arsenal sporting mate. But I, I just think that they're not as good as they're being made out to be. I think Spurs that all changed because of the card, and I, I'm trying not to get involved in officiating and, and refereeing because again we went over this on double tap. But the, the Leeds game was an absolute joke in terms of refereeing displays. Same uh, situation, though, that the card changed the game. Just uh, re- re- when does a red... Re- very rarely does a red card not change a game. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be sorted in Premier League. There's, there's somewhat systemic about how this is all being dealt with and the fact that they'd come out at the start of the season saying, we're going to cut down on time wasting, we're going to cut down this, uh, fouls aren't going to be as... Uh, soft anymore and it's just gone back to how it was we're getting time wasting consistently getting fouls consistently and the cards like the Arsenal um, red card obviously Arsenal might have gone on to win that game again we're talking hypothetically here regardless of the red card but that is a game changer the Leeds United stuff so the amount of times that they kicked the ball away Villa or that they were time wasting etc and were let off with it whereas on the inverse Leeds were immediately punished the red card for Sinistera it's definitely a second yellow there's no dispute in that the first one's never a yellow card there's loads of stuff like that that's happened this season that you could go over in a, a season that's supposed to be far more lenient, would probably be the, the right way to put it, but also it's supposed to be the best league in the world. And if we don't have the best referees in the world, then we can't get anywhere, can we? Salt in the wounds for me, but again, back in one of our moans previously on, on, on an episode, uh, is is the bar as well. That should la- We've now got the facility and the ability to double check these things to get that extra consistency that there should be in the best league in the world so uh, again we covered quite extensively uh, in midweek the the yellow card situation the lead match that the inconsistencies but um yeah that that's that you're always going to get that where there's an element of human subjectivity here so again refereeing it, it's different referees different games different times i get that but that was one of the benefits to me of VAR was not only that the getting the right decisions for offsides and things like that was being able to bring in that consistency. Right, I'm not entirely sure. Let's go to the video and fucking check. The, right, the consistency is the key point there because you can make poor decisions. I, I get that. But if you start to make poor decisions for one team exclusively and then make what appear to be normal decisions for the other team, then you're going to start getting again. A lot of, when I was coming out at the stadium on, on Sunday... That's uh, cheating. He's definitely been paid off. And you're like, he's not. There's there's nothing to do with cheating, and there's, there's clearly no fixing or anything like that. But it's incompetence, and that incompetence costs you points. And it nearly cost us more than uh, the point on the weekend. It definitely cost us three because we were never going to get anything out of that game when we went down to ten men. But again, if you hadn't got this already, significantly hinting at watching, uh, going to listen to it to double tap. Uh, we've mentioned it like three times already. Um, Ian's just sneaking away, just to cough in the corner. Uh, I thought we were going to be sick then. <laughs> That'd have been a, an interesting way to, to continue. I'm not quite that, either. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So this is the the significant portion of stuff that I've got written down for you. Main reason I wanted to do this is because it's the one year anniversary of the Newcastle takeover. So there was a, a letter issued to um, fans from the chairman of Newcastle. Now I'm going to try and say his name. So this is going to be one of these things that I might get some kickback on. So his first name's Yasir. Second name, by the looks of it, is Al-Rumayan. 
So I've either butchered that or I've got that spot on. Stay in your seat. Don't even look at it. It's fine. Uh, but so he's issued a, a, a letter to the fans on this uh, one-year anniversary of them taking over. So I'll quickly read the letter. Uh, it states, thank you for your incredible interesting support. interesting segment, this. Yeah. That letters. <laughs> thank you for your incredible support. I'm very conscious of the contributions that you all make on and off the field. Football clubs are driven by their fans, and this club's fans are more passionate and more committed than any others. I've seen for myself on many occasions how Newcastle fans have lifted the team. Uh, the first game after the takeover will live long in my memory. The feeling of pride at holding the black and white scarf as I enter the stadium. The collective roar of 52,000 of you and the unrivaled electric atmosphere of St. James's Park on match day. I'll never forget the warmth of your welcome to my fellow board members and me on that October day. A year ago, we set out some principles in an open letter that framed our thinking as custodians of the club. We told you that we wanted to build, over time, a consistently successful team, and we told you that we were focused on long-term success. And this is the important part, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but they stated at the end, There's still a long way to go, but each season is a building block towards our objective to challenge for trophies both domestically and in Europe. The club we are building is made up of people who understand our long-term vision and who understand the patience and persistence that it will take to achieve those goals. Those values are reflected in the players that we bring into the club. Bringing the women's team into direct ownership of the club is part of that plan. Progress won't always be smooth, but we will always forge ahead. You can rest assured that we're working very hard to drive the club forward. The support and fans, that's what of our fans and the Newcastle community is an incredible motivation for us all. It will never be taken for granted. So, having read all that out and you sat there and you've fallen asleep. I fucking hope you got a point to that. Jesus Christ, so, that was some rambly shit. What I want to try and get at is we're a year onwards from now from the, the takeover. This season, they currently sit seventh. They've played eight, they've won two, they've drawn five, and they've lost one against Man City, which is the game that we watched. No shame in that. Um, Three-game unbeaten streak at the moment. They've got Brentford at home, Manchester United away, Everton at home, and Spurs away to come in the next four. So it would be interesting to see how how that comes out. But essentially, I've got a few questions for you uh, about this in general. The first question that I want to say is... How do you feel? Obviously, we're completely impartial to this. We're not Newcastle fans. How do you feel it's gone so far for them? I'd be pretty happy. I think that they have they made any world class signings. No, but they've been given some money. They've made some pretty decent purchases. Gamares sticks out at the top of this for me. He's a very tidy player. Um, can can distribute the ball well. Got a lovely long shot on him. Seems to do quite well. Headed some corners. I think he's made a difference. Um, Chris Wood is never a fucking £25 million striker up front. You know, woeful uh, goal-to-game ratio, but he provides you a focal point. Um, I, I I think, considering where they were and the trouble they were in, I think, from my perspective, I'd be pretty happy if I was a Newcastle fan. How quickly, realistically, do they need to qualify? Look at City. Let's, take, let's, take, let's roll the clock back to when City were bought in a similar time. They went out and they spunked a load of money on far bigger at the time players. Rubinho sticks in my mind. They didn't progress anywhere. You know, it still took them five, six, seven years before they were at that point of challenge. They didn't immediately go there. So we're a year on, you know, on on your anniversary. What I'd be really interested in, if you've done your real research, how does that compare to to City at the time? How how was that improvement? Have a look at the record afterwards. I think they should be pretty happy. I have absolutely no idea where City were a year onwards. But, didn't, 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 but didn't, didn't I, I mean, the devil, I've got a lot of detail. stuff to go into here. So, again, going back to that, how quickly did they need to qualify for Europe, at the very least, or the Champions League in order to retain the top talent that they've had? Because you've already mentioned they've got Bruno Gamares who's come in and he seems to have done quite well since going in. He isn't realistically going to want to stay at the club, regardless of the money that they're paying him. If they're not competing at the top, he he could be a Champions League player. It might be a lower Champions League player, but he could definitely be in the Champions League. And they're not going to want to waste transfer windows in getting to that point because they want to go and try and build. As you said, they want to try and bring, bring in um, top players, but they're going to have to realistically qualify for Europe, a bit like every team, realistically, uh, to get to a point where they're a more attractive destination for the bigger signings. So there's rumours that Memphis Depay has been linked with them. Um. I, I think you're right, just to circle back on your points, isn't it a slightly similar situation with someone like Gamaras to Highland? Now, I think he signed a five-year deal. He's probably getting a fair wedge. Even if he wants to go, unless there's a release clause in there, they don't have to let him go. So they can feasibly hold him on for the period of his, of his contract. 
But I totally agree with your point. He, he, he looks a good player. I think he's 24. He's going to want to improve and get in the Champions League. You could give them a shout that will they get... If I was a Newcastle fan, and I, I, certainly I was their manager, I'd certainly be lumping my chips into the trying to go for um, you know the League Cup, trying to get that that's a way into Europe. The way that they're playing at the moment, you know, could they with this Europa conference and nonsense like that? I think you can qualify now for Europe, depending on who wins the cups and qualifies for the Champions League, etc. You can sneak into Europe, maybe an eighth, can't you, in the league? Seventh, I think. So, it is. so seventh. Could they get seventh this year or next year? It, this year might be more of a stretch, but I, I, I wouldn't necessarily see against it. If they had another transfer window in January, where they, you know, got another couple of decent players in, kicked on like they did last January, they could they could get a cup competition. They could maybe sneak the FA Cup. Uh, they could get into the the Europa Conference, and it's a start. So uh, they probably need that aim of getting there within the next two to three years. And I could definitely see that on the trajectory they're on. So I'm just having a quick check here. Uh, so he signed a four and a half year deal uh, okay. in Jan. So. The, if you say in two years, again, two years it's going to take them to get to Europe. Let's say in two years' time that they're not in Europe. The difference for me between someone like Bruno Gamares and Newcastle and Manchester City and Haaland, not obviously ignoring the wage, let's say for a moment, he's surely going to be on a lot of money as, as Gamares. 100 but, grand a week, easy. But obviously nowhere near the ballpark that we're talking about Haaland. The difference being... City are probably going to win league this season. They're probably going to win a cup competition. Definitely win the league. No, <laughs> probably about it. Probably going to win a cup competition. Might win the Champions League. And that's all... I mean, playing in Europe alone is significantly different from what Gamaris is going to be doing. He's going to be playing probably in the, the cup competitions, probably you know throughout the league unless he gets an injury. But he's going to want that step up fairly rapidly, regardless of the wage. So... Yeah, I think it's got to be less than two years. I think they've got to get into Europe this season. I agree. So while I'm a little bit distracted, you probably there. I just was trying to see if I could find the odds for City to win everything this season to do. You know, Champions League, Three Premier League, all the I can't find it, but you could see it the way that they're playing, and if they can keep the Terminator fit. But um, I, I see your point. But I, I think they, again, football fans can be pretty fickle, and maybe we undoubtedly have bias towards our own teams. But I think one of the reasons, that hopefully, that we talk a lot of sense. And on this, that we, we, we are good, is that we're objective and we can we, we 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 say it as we see it. And I think even that most ardent Newcastle fan can't be like, oh, massively disappointed with doing shit. You know, I'm only lost one game this season. I'm beaten in a lot, a lot of draws in there. And you know, again, too many draws sap your points. You'd rather take a loss and a win than two draws. You know, points wise, that you know, that, 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 that there's there's definitely that argument. But. Uh, I'd say it's going better than I would have expected, if I'm honest. Well, the owners said when they first came in that their ambitions were to be Premier League title contenders within five to ten years. Now, obviously, I appreciate that's a that's a massive gap in it of five years, and it's going to take five years to get there anyway. Do you reckon that they need to reevaluate that? Is that still something that's achievable for a team like Newcastle in the position that I mean, they're in what, at the moment? Again, we, we often talk about this hypothetical situation. How much more are they going to throw in at what quality of player? You know, If they stayed with that team at the moment, absolutely not. Clearly, they're not going to get there. If each year they were to take uh, and, and add another piece to that puzzle in the team of a 40, 50 million pound player that turns out to add value that Gamarez has. And let's say, you know, they've got San Maximan who is one of the most wildly inconsistent players I've ever seen. On his day, is an absolute well-beater, but you get five games a season like that for me. If you could get him to that Mo Salah, Haaland consistency, or, you know, like that, then he could easily be one of the best players in the world going forward. But for me, they need a decent out-and-out striker. That would be the first place I'd be looking to, to, to chuck some serious money. Not Isaac? I forgot they got him. I... I yeah, okay. No, no, I, I forgot about him. I'll take that back. I think he's a decent start. I think he, for me, I don't know if he's a lone striker, which is they play. I think he needs some support there. And I don't think they've got enough attacking talent if you play in a front three with Sam Maximan because of his inconsistency. Now, Depay never really rated him, certainly never rated him at Man U. was fantastic at PSV and for the World Cup for Holland before he went to Man U. Uh, obviously then was, was pretty good at Lyon and has kind of got lost in amongst uh, Barcelona's new signings. So would he add some quality to their team? Definitely. But I don't think personally he's at the level they need. But um, 
another attacking inside forward. Yeah, you, you, Isaacson's Isaac a good start. I don't know. He He's not going to get you 20 Premier League goals, though. I'd be surprised. So on that point, do any of the players that they currently have fit into a league win inside? Botman, I could uh, very early on, only 21-22, but I, I saw him a lot at Lille. I really liked the look of him. I could see him as the heir in the Dutch team to, to Virgil. Um, in time, currently, no, but in time, uh, no. Being honest with you, if you're looking at that, no. Sam Maximan has that potential if you got that consistency out of him 75% of the games, but I don't. I, I think he's his type and nature of the player is one of those... A well beater for five seasons, pretty average otherwise, and absolutely woeful for the rest of the game. So, uh, to actually answer your question, no. Couldn't see Gamares uh, a top side. Couldn't see uh, top Isaac. four side title winning team. No, I mean, do, do, let's look at the position he plays for City. Is he better than Rodri? No, don't get into that. Is he better than Phillips? Yeah, as a backup, but it's not in, in, <laughs> in the team. Um, I, you could, again, is, is he then a, a De Bruyne or a Foden in that attacking mid? No, not that quality. So. No for me. Okay. Um, Eddie Howe. So, clearly, when Eddie Howe came in last season, a lot of people had their doubts, um, myself included, about whether he'd be able to keep him up. He essentially was at a position where they were seen to be treading water. They, they looked like they were down and out. Just so happened that they decided to play Leeds and beat Leeds 1-0, uh, and it kick-started their survival bid, and then they stayed up quite comfortably in the end. So, two questions for you on that. Could Eddie Howe be the, the manager that makes him successful? So, could he be there long-term? And secondly, can you see him as England manager? No, no. Uh, I think he's a decent manager. I would say he did better than I suspected him to as well. I thought he was one of those players that maybe had found his niche at Bournemouth, a bit like Dyche had at Burnley, what we're talking about. Everything seemed to suit him. He surprised me and done pretty well. But I can't help but feel he's got a glass ceiling. And I could see him, the way in, and the, the the things that we've just said about the talk in five years, ten years, wanting to be challenged for titles, I think he can, personally, can only take them so far. Can he take them into Europe? Yes. I think there would potentially need to be a change to get a really top manager for them to kick on to be in that bracket that they're talking about. Um, could he, I mean, arguably better than Southgate, so, and at the moment England aren't doing great. Would I want him as England manager? No, thanks, really. Would you rather have, and again, we're going on a bit of a tangent here, but would you rather have Potter or Howe as your manager? Uh, Liverpool or England? Uh, either. Potter every day. Why? I think even though he's probably had slightly less of a career at the top level than Howe has, I like the way he sets teams up. I think he, I like his possession-based game that he seems to play and implement at teams. He did at Swansea, he did at Brighton, uh, and Chelsea seem to be uh, starting to improve as well. Um, I don't think Howe has quite such a rigid philosophy of how he wants to approach the game. Um, it strikes me that Potter is a bit like a Klopp, a bit like a Pep that has it. This is how we're going to play. He sets the team up. Whether or not he's got the players at the time, he'll get those players in. So... Um, for me, it would be Potter over half. Fair enough. Uh, last question on this, then. I feel bit, like this is a fucking job interview. Bit, <laughs> getting asked all these questions. Unfortunately, you've come in smelling of booze and uh, you won't <laughs> be getting the job. So I failed. A <laughs> um, bit more of a controversial one. Because, obviously, of everything that was involved with Newcastle, it's a Saudi Arabian bats takeover, a lot of accusations of sport washing when they came in. Have they now moved past that? Do they have to do more to address it? If not, and is this something that's going to tarnish them forever? We said it, kind of touched on it. Football fans are fickle. If you're winning, who gives a fuck where the money comes from? And I don't... If they carry on pumping the money in, whether that's dirty oil money, corrupt money from the shenanigans that, that might be going on, I'm not sure if I was a Newcastle fan, I'd particularly care. So um, it's the type of thing that other fans would begrudge them if they started to do well. Agreed. So that you could see it being thrown, ah, you've got fucking Saudi oil money, you've got this, you know, you've washed your hands of all this dirty money. Don't tell me, there's not a Newcastle fan there that's given a shit, I would say. I'd say it were more, it was 70-30 in favour of the takeover when this happened. I think there was a lot of people who were 
adverse to it. Um, the majority of people, as you say, weren't Newcastle fans in that sense. Obviously, Newcastle just wanted rid of Mike Ashley. And if you were a Newcastle fan, you had to go through that. I can absolutely sympathise with Take anyone you. over that. Yeah, Take Dave, say, matter, just to get rid yeah, of that fat, He is bold an, an absolute twat. prick. But... Um, yeah, as an example, so that the links are still there between Newcastle and Saudi Arabia. Obviously, uh, the chairman is the governor of the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Um, they're travelling to Jeddah for a training camp in January and could return during the World Cup break. Um, they have new, some of their signings have obviously been asked by journalists about the Saudi human rights record, which I'm not sure how... Eddie Howe or St. Maximum are supposed to answer those. It just seems nonsense. That's out of their hands, though, isn't it? Let's yeah, be honest, exactly. They can't control who their bosses are. If your boss comes in and does all of that, that to me as well, you'd have to be a very brave manager uh, to say, do you know what? I'm going to quit because of this horrendous human rights record that's completely unrelated and I've got no control over. And there's certain things in the world, this woke nonsense that we've talked about between ourselves that people want to jump on and again that is something that other teams of fans and again wokeism has no place in football fuck off and stay out of the you know we're football fans are more genuine people that that bullshit has no place in football for me but i'm telling you now i don't think there would be very many if any newcastle fans that would be concerned about that in all fairness i I think this is you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. This is one of these things that, if it happened to Leeds, for example, so let's say uh, 49ers came and bought us out entirely and decided that we were then their main investment um, and they, they weren't going to invest that much into the NFL team. It's not going to happen, don't get me wrong, but let's say they were investing millions and millions and millions on us and then we found out that this money was from dirty practices and from certain instances. If we're becoming a, a European team and I'm getting to watch European football and I'm getting to watch big-name players come to play for my club, I'm not going to sit there with a banner in the stadium and be like, right, get these people out. Because I, I, fickle it is the absolute perfect word for a football fan. People don't go spend the hard-earned money to watch dross. And if it gets to the point where you've been owned by a Mike Ashley, you've been owned by a Massimo Cellino, you've been owned by the Glazers, it's a separate issue, but... Um, then you get to the point where you just don't care as long as that money's been pumped in, as long as you're successful. It's for detractors, so people that want to make an issue and, and, and oh, I'm glad I'm not a Newcastle fan, or they, they detract away from that success. Yeah, Is it bought, is it questionable, as you say? Manchester the City rights, are the, the rights biggest rights. example. Manchester City weren't nothing, realistically, until they were bought out. They're not and a particularly historic club, are they? No. Don't have the, you know, look at a villa. Even a forest has a more storied history in terms of football than, than Manchester City. Uh, again, now, one of the biggest teams in the world, going to smash everything this year, got best player in the world probably. Uh, you know, uh, f- f- fickle. I, I just think it's it's for other fans that want to detract and take away from somebody's success or find a reason to not... Oh, we're not as good as... That. Again, you can't choose who buys your club and do I wish that maybe Newcastle bought Liverpool? So we had some of that Saudi oil money. Yeah. But you can't choose that. Well, so. the, the argument that I'd always make, and this is the ultimate fickle point, if I could, and again, the majority of people are going to disagree with this, and I completely appreciate that, but if I could say I would be supporting a team like a Man City that doesn't really have that much history, isn't entrenched in um, you know English football history, it's not one of these be-all and end-all clubs and a massive club like a, a Leeds United, obviously, um, or a Forest or a Villa, but I have the success of being able to watch my team win everything that they possibly can win. They're doing well constantly. I'm watching and enjoying my football because I'm not having to go and worry about losing. It's not ruining my weekend. I take that every day of the week over what I have at the moment, which is uh, an average football club who are doing well enough. You go to watch, you go to enjoy it with you, 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 whoever you go with, your fans, uh, your friends, your, your family, your girlfriend, etc. But... I'm going and watching games like Villa on Sunday where not much happens. You spend your hard-earned money yeah. to, to see that. You, you don't give a fuck where that success comes from. You're not, do you know what? I'd rather it be owned... I mean, let's use a silly example. Let's say the Mafia or uh, a, a Mexican <laughs> drug cartel bought a, t- bought a team. Are you going to sit back if uh, you, and they're going to pump 500 million, a billion into your team and make them really successful and you're going to fly from being, you know, Forrest bottom of the league to contending for the title 
Are you going to give a shit where that money comes from? And you're going to possibly no. If, we're it's, not... if it's a Mexican cartel, you're not going to get into well, that, the toilet. That's a very extreme example. You're going to go to the toilets and all. You're just going to snort in out you as you walk in. I'm being the hero <laughs> and using an extreme example, but I, I, I wouldn't. I, I, I think I watch football to win. I think we, we as humans, we success is ingrained in us that we, we want to see something successful and be a part tribally of that. Who wants to see dross? But oh, we're really well run. We're the company, the country that owns us has got the cleanest human rights record in the world. Maybe someone, and I'm being really harsh here. Maybe that is for someone, not for me. Not a consideration. Couldn't give a fuck. The only exception I would ever have, realistically, is Red Bull, because that's a, that's a difference between someone owning you and someone turning you into something that is them. That, for example, if they took over us. And there were a lot of rumours that it'd be Red Bull Leeds. It wouldn't be Leeds United anymore. Do Leipzig fans feel that way? I, I, don't, I don't know any Leipzig fans or New York Red Bull fans. Do any one of the clubs that they bought in that circle of teams they've got feel that way? Yes. And the Leipzig one is a very good point. And I, I can't remember the actual name, but there was a, a massive protest at the time. And they had, I think they've made their own team. A little bit like MK Dons and Wimbledon. So obviously that all happened. It's a very similar story to, to that. I mean, I'm probably being very critical here. And let's be fair, a good example would be the European Super League. Football fans do have a certain limit of the nonsense and shit they would take. And look at all the the, the, the protests and how that crumbled in 48 hours. So I'm, I'm being probably overly critical on football fans generally here. They do have morals. There is a limit to what they will accept. But I think... The silly extreme examples I've given. No, no one. You know, maybe if you had you were bought by a Colombian drug cartel, that that's quite different because that's quite in your face and extreme. But if there's something like Saudi oil money, where you know they've got a questionable human rights record, but are the royal family necessarily involved in that? I don't know how the legal system works. Do the law? Do the royal family make the laws? Is that are they the legislator of the company of, of the country? Probably not. Are they? As you say, there's a line, isn't there? It's a continuum, and it's somewhere on that. And we're talking maybe at the extreme ends. Football fans do have a conscience and morals, and you know the Super League showed that that things are and club history is more important than money in a lot of ways. But as you say, it's blurred lines. There's no black and white answer. This is very grey in the middle. I'd be to be honest. That's a very interesting point. Might be worth putting a poll out on Twitter, but. I'd be very interested to see how many... Realistically, I get you're going to get a lot of um, you know, happy clappers and, and people who say, no, I'd never want that to, to ever happen to my club. But if you could realistically be presented with the, pro, the, the choice, you can be successful for the rest of your days in, in football, but you're going to be owned by someone who is potentially not doing the right things in the world, to say the least. Or you're owned by, as you say, a really clean country... Um, they've never done anything wrong. Human rights record. Finland, is, yeah, you know, Norway, um, Russia. <laughs> I might draw the line at having a Rusky in charge. I, I, that, 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 as you say, uh, yeah, I, as you say, that it, it's it's a difficult one. Yeah, I think uh, agreed. Um, again, Russia is at the thick end of that continuum, isn't it? Like they're, they're not. A, it's not a black or grey. That they're like at the moment, particularly, you'd be like, no, I don't want that. Why? What's but, wrong with them at the moment? Just nothing. They're just really friendly country, aren't they? Always liked our, our Vladimir. He seems to be doing nothing wrong in the world and not making all my fucking bills go up. Um, don't want to alienate our <laughs> Russian fans. Like, me for we don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> just got a good friend in, in Brussels. Who Shout listens. out to our Belgian fan. Yeah, um, but um, th- there's not really, on a, a separate note, anything worth note talking about this weekend. I was just looking at the fixtures. They're all pretty mundane, to be honest. Um, what, Arsenal, you is probably the the it's got biggest one. That one, isn't it? Yeah, really? Again, not... I'm not just saying that from the biased point of view. Um, you have got London derby, West Ham and, and Fulham. All the four Fulham fans will be getting really excited about that. Um, an East Midlands one with you know Forest Villa, but um, on Monday night. But we is it a seven o'clock game as well on Sunday? Yeah, seven o'clock ever. First time ever. Tonight. I, never, I, what I, is I that? saw that flash up the other day when I was watching BT, and I was like, "That's and again that they've obviously got because we were talking about uh, the Saturday games. There's no lunchtime kickoff. BT usually have a lunchtime one, kickoff, then, yeah. so they've some somehow why reason why managed to get the lunchtime one that would have been half twelve on the Saturday switched seven o'clock on a Sunday, but. I mean, for the, it's not the worst trip in the world, but for a Man U fan, 
away going to Liverpool, six, uh, you know, for, for the, the, the diehard fans like yourself that go to the games, that's a fucker having to go seven o'clock. You know, you, you lose to a team like Everton. You know, you, you, you're going back to Manchester. I mean, the game's going to finish at what quarter to nine on I mean, Sunday. The, that's late. The schedule and issues that they've got at the moment in the Premier League are an absolute nonsense. Anyway, that I don't think we play on a Saturday for. A month at the very least. We've got loads of Sunday and midweek games now, so it's all to do with scheduling. It's all ridiculous, and you always feel sorry for these people who are going down to games. And I think this weekend there's a rail strike, isn't there? And obviously Leeds play Crystal Palace at, at two o'clock on a Sunday. Good luck trying to get there and back. It's just an absolute nightmare. Um, but to, to avoid any sort of whining and any sort of moaning, uh, we'll move on to uh, the UFC portion. I don't think there's that much news this week for me. Um, We've already talked about Kevin Holland in the, the double tap. You obviously were very excited for his his retirement that lasted all of two Made minutes. Me didn't you? Made me look a mug. Thanks, Kevin. Say, you in your podcast, definitely Kevin, um, won't me. But uh, quiet week, really. Um, yeah, didn't do my research. <laughs> Starting to run out of gas as well. So I, I, I feel, feel like, like you're running out of gas on this podcast. The more I look I've at you, more you're sinking into more, your chair. Got, I, I, this is the most energy I've had all fucking day. But um, <laughs> yeah, quiet week. I mean, there's a couple of things about Connor. Wasn't there, Connor had little bit of a beef with Bisping and then came out and um, said he was going to put someone in a coffin. Do you, do you want me to read his tweet to you? Because you, you obviously like me reading um, in this, this particular episode. I'm going to play it when I go to bed tonight. <laughs> put me straight to fucking sleep. We're reading your, uh, <laughs> listening to the part of the section about your, your, your letter. But yeah, go on. So he, uh, he posted on Twitter in typical Conor McGregor fashion. Uh, the little run he done post his backhand landing was an absolute apple juice. Uh, nice shot. I'm going to lead... Lead hook, coffin box, people, when I get back into this exact same motion. We're a clip of, uh, I think it was Mark Hunt knocking out Struve. Um, despite a skyscraper. Yeah, despite a 14-inch height difference, apparently, was the, the actual stats. He was over seven foot, I think, Struve was crazy. Ridiculous. Um, I've, I've seen the clip. It's, it's... I mean, Hunt is no joke. Again, for, for people, again, the casual fans, some of the best... He, he invented the walk-off knockout, which is where you just... You know, UFC is... It was renowned for being too brutal in that someone gets knocked out and they just follow him down Hunt was a man so confident in his own power he just let, swing a punch and just walk off no full well that guy's not getting up and the ref's going to stop it but um, the only other slight thing I did see was seems to be gathering a little bit of traction today is uh, Gagey uh, Justin Gagey accusing Connor of juicing because he's been officially out of the uh, ironically to do with the, the Connor Ben uh, juicing as well been out of the USADA testing pool for a, a year. Uh, he's claiming he's going to get back in, and I think to be eligible for a fight in the UFC, you have to be back in the testing pool for at least six months. And he's been filming the Roadhouse remake, uh, remake hasn't he? So it wouldn't surprise me. There's no steroid testing in Hollywood, so uh, he wants to look good for the camera. Uh, the cameras want him to look shredded, probably for the film. So that there, uh, again, if you take my very cynical view. Very likelihood that someone in uh, uh, a film like that would be getting on the juice to look good for their acting debut. No, it's all it's all real. It never happen in, in these days and age. But I mean, weirdly, the fact that you sign me up. It. You said this about steroids. <laughs> if someone wants to give, uh, say, if we if there's a steroid sponsor out there that wants to be the first sponsor of the podcast, sign me up. I'm in. Do not sign me up. Just to, to get that straight, I'm, I will not be sticking any needles in my ass. I go for some cream. If anyone wants to chuck us some testosterone <laughs> cream, I'll not try putting cream in my ass either. Um, it's not on your ass, it's on your shoulders, just to be clear. For those, again, that's how it works. You don't, uh, it's only needles in your ass for the roids. Weirdly, but just because we mentioned Mark Hunt there, and obviously you mentioned about juicing, that the weirdest thing that I randomly recall, and I'm just checking up on it now, um, because obviously I'm not the biggest UFC fan, I'm more of a casual fan, it's only sort of this year that I've been getting into it, but I always remember the Mark Hunt-Lesnar fight, Um because Lesnar won, didn't he? But he were overturned at later date because wasn't he juicing? Lesnar was the king <laughs> of the roids. Every Mexican supplement going. At the, that that was pre-USADA days. And, I mean, what is he now? 50-odd, Lesnar? Still looks is like he? a... Oh, he's fucking huge. Uh, yeah, he's definitely closer to 50 than he's 40. 45. So you, oh, you always round up. Bang on, bang <laughs> on the middle. But, um, yeah, I'm a monster of a man. And, of course, again, for the, the more casual fans, because of that fight as well... Uh, that Mark Hunt then entered into extensive litigation with the UFC about that and 
fact that what he you know he didn't win his bonus money because it was lost and it was overturned a, a load of other things for for another day but got um, called a no contest in it in the end so but um i mean lesnar back in the day was he would have been one on all the steroids wrestling legend wwe bloke still the king of the steroids though is ultimately for the ufc if there was a, a championship belt it would always be uh victor belfort infamously when that you know uh even had his own name which was trt victor which was when he kicked michael bisping's eye out that, that if there's ever been a fighter uh transformed in stature from when the trt which is testosterone replacement therapy for those that don't know so that was basically legal steroids at ufc at a certain point they were allowed to take it was crazy and that 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 version of victor was a monster uh, but it, 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 there was then, for, for the more casual fans, so he was allowed to take testosterone uh, replacement therapy, get an exemption, basically, for steroids. Um, just his body, when they, they, they removed that as part of USADA, the change in his physical appearance, he went from ripped and shredded to saggy and old. And again, I would you could quickly do a Victor Belfort before and after pictures on t- uh, Google, it will bring it up, but... Um, yeah, we've, we've wandered off a little bit here. I'm just thinking I'm going to get a T-shirt with your face on that says, for the casual fans, because I think the amount of times that you say that in, in these podcasts... I feel like I try to bring knowledge to people that don't have the time By belittling them. Uh, we talk about, particularly about steroids. Um, but for you, I, I, that's some of the feedback we've had, is that, you know, for people that aren't necessarily into UFC as much, hopefully our discussions bring knowledge to the wider audience that might not have had it so i like to think we're being educational in that sense especially for the uh, the casual fans exactly that maybe that's this week's episode uh title for you right there um just before we go in terms of mcgregor it's been a fucking long one this hasn't it <laughs> Let's see there's only an hour and six minutes it's there's more sleep more than, for... more than the sleep that you had last night um, it is McGregor, is he returning at welterweight, not lightweight? Uh, he came out and said that, yeah, 170 is what we come back at, which, again, just fueled the rumours of the Roids in the, again, used to fight when he was uh, featherweight uh, champion. That was 145. So um, he's never been... I mean, to me, when he fights at 170, he's being lazy. He could easily cut... He, he, 155 is his weight. It's what he should cut to, because he, he, he can cut down to that and then balloon back up with the, 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 the legal weight cut. And we've said one, he's an undersized 170. But I do believe I did really. He might have been walking around at 200 recently. So that, Jesus. that's fucking big. Jesus Christ. But, so he's got a um, way to go to get to 170. I know that he wants that third world title, but he's not going to fight Edwards, is he? Still, Edwards is going to have to have the rematch with Usman and then. I still could see, see Usman winning that. Usman is an absolute nightmare matchup for McGregor. No, I, I can't. Again, the way that he's, he's lost that fight. Who isn't at the moment? Been... It seems to be every single fight that he's had. He's be outclassed. I mean, you've got to take your heart off to him. He never takes an easy fight. He tends to step up and fight the best of the best. And Dana's come out and said that, that he'll fight anyone, anywhere, anytime, which is, is an absolute credit to him for a lot of this, the flack that he's got become, since he's become popular. But for Usman is his kryptonite. Strong wrestler, quite heavy hands. Just take him down, ground and pound, rinse and repeat. Don't see it any way. I'm saying that, Connor's got good kicks. Obviously, uh, he got head kicked into another dimension by Edwards. So there's always an any striker's always got an outside chance. But nine times out of ten, Usman's winning that. Yeah, um, and Usman's a fucking big boy for welterweight. I mean, Usman probably walks around at two hundred pounds and cuts down. So if you saw them at the if they was if that was a hypothetical fight and there was a weigh in, there's a huge side. They look different weight classes. That, that Usman's huge for one seventy. For casual fans, that that is a. Uh... It's quite a, a large individual. But um, yeah, I think that's it for this week's episode. Uh, I won't want to keep you up any longer. I know you're, you're about to fall asleep slash throw a few punches at me with the, the anger slowly rising there. Home, but, uh... take away, bed. <laughs> Thanks for listening as always and we'll, uh, we'll speak to you next week. 